it was a dark time for the Knicks. Mainly because of the Canadian winter. This week we're talking Star Wars fans. Everybody, it is a new season. It is a new episode. It is a new topic of the same old podcast, Phantopological, episode 13, to be precise. Today, we're talking about a little thing called Star Wars and its fans. And here with me to do that are my co hosts, Nick T. Hello. And Z. It's also a new hope. Oh. oh. What is? The show. This podcast. This podcast having another season. <laughs> we got renewed. Yeah, we, yeah we, talked, we talked to the higher-ups. Hope, hope springs eternal. Yep. Yeah, and on the show where every week we tackle a different fandom and give you the fan's eye view of the, the why the fandom exists, I mean, it, it's good that we got renewed because I think that's those are stories that need to be told. That's true. And if we're not going to tell them, someone else is going to tell them, but it's going to be on like a weird forum somewhere in the middle of nowhere. So that's why you listen to this podcast. <laughs> We can bring them into the harsh, harsh uh, light of day. Mm -hmm. So this week we are talking about Star Wars fans, uh, fans of the 1977, well, like it started in 1977, movie, television, uh, extended universe, all of that jazz, that entire media franchise that has endured for the, what, 40, 40 years? Is it 40? It is 40 years this year. Wow. Oh, man, that makes Carrie Fisher's untimely death really really sad by comparison it is really sad yeah. uh, but uh we we're talking about fans of the the various franchises um not not a particular franchise um but i'm sure part of the why probably has to do with the enduring qualities of the entirety of the the franchise mm -hmm. yeah it was it was built on the back of three movies it's built on the back of one movie. Ultimately. Because there were three three years between Star Wars and Empire. Mm -hmm. Wow. So like right like it's interesting about the Star Wars and Star Trek debate. Because Star Trek is vast. Like there's no end to it. T V <laughs> series and, and movies and, and all of, of quote official uh content. Star yeah. Wars for 22 years of its history was well not 22 years uh, for a good port chunk of its history when, when I got into it when I was a kid of, based on three movies yeah I mean the EU began not too long after you have Splinter of the Mind's Eye which I believe came out in between Empire and Jedi um, this is all extended universe stuff it's, it's the first notable piece my uh, Star Wars book Ah, that is a rabbit hole that I've never gone down. Huh. It's a very big rabbit hole, and as much as I want to talk about that, I was going to ask you guys a question. Ooh. So here's here's a simple question for you folks, and it, it's yep. totally not self-serving as to what we're going to name this episode, Future Us. Uh, what are Star Wars fans called? You know, Warsies. Or is no, I, just, oh, yeah. I, I, I just made that up. I don't okay. know if anybody found that. But Well, like, 
Star Trek fans, Trekkies or Trekkers, but there's like yeah. two main names. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twilight has many different uh, names for the for the fans. What are Star Wars fans? Warers, 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 like trekkers. Why not pick the easiest thing to say, like warers? How about (laughs) how about warriors? (laughs) Because warriors or warsers, because it's called wars, not Star War. It's not a single war. You know what? Okay. You might be right. My guess is also warers. <laughs> okay. Uh, so in my research, came across this article called What Should Star Wars Fans Be Be Called on Inverse.com. Uh, and you know what? It had some interesting little segments that kind of spoke to me. I'm going to read one of them, and then I'll give you the various names that it suggested. Uh, these designations designate a tribe, a unified clique. When you belong to a fan base, it's being part of a club. So much so that you get the sense that the only people that truly understand you are the other club members. There's something cathartic about belonging to such a group. They're the only other ones keyed into the bizarrely specific niche that your fandom occupies. They're the ones that understand your specific jokes, why you dress up to go to events, and why you've watched the Blu-ray to a movie a thousand times, but are eager to watch it again just because it's been a few days. Some of the names they suggested, Jedis... Padawans, Wookiees, Enforcers. I like that one. That one's clever, eh? Star Warriors. Okay. Uh, I think they Star picked Warriors up on yours. Your... Yeah, Star in Warriors. There. Yep. Um, <laughs> probably, probably number eleven. Yeah. <laughs> Just didn't make the cut. But it sounds like the Star Wars fans don't have a particular um, moniker. People just call them Star Wars fans. So the, 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 my first thought when he asked that question was Jedi's. Jedi but, seems reasonable, but yeah, I feel like that immediately states a partisanship that some Star Wars fans may not prefer, like Empire versus Rebellion. Yeah, a kind of dichotomy. It, it states a position already. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about just like the Force? What about it? It per- it oh. binds us and permeates us. What what else yeah. do you want? To know? <laughs> Let me do explain about midi chlorians. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, Wait, I mean, sorry. Star Wars fans just being the Force. Oh, like the name for the collective of the fans. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's that's kind of neat. <laughs> D- doesn't doesn't give you something to call yourself, but on mass it works. Yeah, it's a little yeah. confusing too because you'd be you'd say we are one with the Force, and it's like <laughs> I guess that tells you that you're a Star Wars fan. <laughs> But maybe you're a Jedi. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Going back to your description of like what a fandom or community is that that preceded that list, remind me of a a very interesting YouTube video by Wired, who interviewed people who were lining up uh, two weeks prior to the Force Awakens coming out hmm. at Chinese Theater in LA. Okay. Um, and. One thing that totally took me aback, blew me away, that I never considered at all was one guy's yeah, yeah, I met most of these guys when I when I uh waited out waited I waited in line for episode two. And uh we've known each other ever since. I've been good friends ever I was like, What? <laughs> There's a community of people who hang out. Also, 
these people go to their jobs. They attend their, you know, what they need to do in their lives apart from, from waiting out. I think the waiting out is mostly done at night and it's literally camping. But there's oh. like a community, people who's like who like got each other's back, in terms of their place. And, yeah. and and things like that and there was one girl who was like yeah I came here I didn't know anybody I've been here for two weeks and now I have like a whole bunch of new friends it's like man wow that I it never occurred to me that people <laughs> people who camped out the movie for multiple weeks would bond I assumed everyone was just like separate by themselves everybody's sitting in a lawn chair with their arms crossed Exactly. Just, like frowning and thinking to themselves, <laughs> nobody better steal my spot. Well, yes. it, it may just be like G's, you know, English heritage of, you know, very <laughs> British problems. Well, well, I mean like queuing. Yeah. Very, yeah. very important to the to the I British. Mean, yeah. Um, I think so that... You certainly wouldn't turn around to the person behind you and start to bond with them. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's where uh, where those those Yanks are just different. It's... What were you, you going to say, Z? I was going to say, it, it makes sense to me that people would bond there, because, I mean, what else are you going to do? You're going to yeah. turn around to the person <laughs> behind you or, like, lean into the person in front of you and say, hey, what are you doing here? What's what's your Star Wars story? <laughs> Ooh. Uh, speaking mm-hmm. of the Brits, I found an interesting bit of trivia regarding a certain Mr. Simon Pegg. The world. I mean, it's not it's not usually fun to just say, "Oh, these are these celebrities are fans of whatever." Which I did find, you know, Daniel Radcliffe, uh, Stephen Colbert, um, John Stewart, Anna Kendrick, Anna Kendrick, and it's like, okay, this is mildly interesting, but this is not the mildly interesting subreddit. So I, I kept digging <laughs> deeper. Uh, there, there was an article that I read entitled "Simon Pegg's Blunt Opinion of Star Wars Prequel Fans." Whoa. And uh, I, I didn't include this because of any particular judgment. I just thought it was interesting that he was so vocal about this. Um, apparently, Simon Pegg does not respect fans of the prequels and is a huge fan of Star Wars. Uh, one bit from the article says, Basically what we're saying is that 15 years later, there's a bunch of bitter old people who were excited kids when the original trilogy came out who became disillusioned young men and women because of the prequels. <laughs> Basically, an entire generation looked like this. And then it cuts to um, uh, a clip of Spaced, which is a show that Simon Pegg is yeah. in. A and, fantastic show. <laughs> yes. And uh, he's showing him burning all his Star Wars stuff after <laughs> watching the prequels. <laughs> but I didn't know that he was a huge fan of Star Wars. I knew he was a fan of Star Trek. And, and subsequently, is in it. Yeah, and it's in it. Uh, but I didn't know he was a huge fan of Star Wars. And especially did not know his strong opinions of uh the prequels wait so what what is his objection to pre- the prequel fans that they're that they're jaded um there there was like it linked to a longer article explaining what his opinion on lucas was and it centered around things like the prequels didn't come out until like the technology existed such that they could be made. And so the focus of the prequels is a lot more on the technology rather than the storytelling and the mythology and things like that. Yeah. Mm. Um, but the article mostly didn't center around his nuanced opinion. It was mostly just like a little, Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Yeah. Fun fact. Also in Dr. Who. Wait, Simon Pegg is in yeah. Dr. Who. 
He was in the first season of the rebooted Doctor Who. Oh, neat. Yeah. Yeah. I actually don't know his, like, whether he was a huge fan growing up. I assume he saw it because he was a British child at one point. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. On the topic of fans, actually, I'm sure that you probably, either of you or both of you, came across some uh, some stuff about fanfic or fan films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe even you came across a little thing called Hardware Wars. Hardware Wars? No. Hardware Wars. At Home Depot. <laughs> nah, man, I'm more of a Lowe's guy. <laughs> Home That's Hardware for Life. <laughs> That's what I would have thought to you, given the title, but no. It's actually a reference to the the various uh, items used for the space battles in this fan-made film, which came out, I believe, I believe either like within the year or a year after the first Star Wars came out in 1977. Made by a, a gent by the name of Ernie Fossilius, who didn't just make this fan film and then, you know, disappear. He actually went on to do some sound work on Ed Wood, and Spaceballs until finally getting a personal call from George Lucas (laughs) to be the voice of the Rancor Keeper in episode 6. Whoa. (laughs) Rancor Keeper. That's a a bit part, but I mean, that's still really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, Hardware Wars is also George Lucas's favorite fan film. That's a... That's saying a lot because in the research that I did, I learned that uh, George Lucas not a huge fan of fan work. <laughs> <laughs> no. no, fans are often not a not a huge fan of his work either. So it's a mutual dislike. Uh, yes, exactly. Yeah, it's a two way street. I was looking for interesting Star Wars articles, and I definitely found some interesting ones. One of which was a WikiHow article entitled How to Become a Star Wars Fan. <laughs> Ooh. Which had a lot of unsurprising things, which were, you know, read or watch the movies, um, collect stuff, dress mm-hmm. up in costume, that kind of stuff. One of the things that I actually found interesting and informative, which I would not expect on an article on how to become a fan of anything, Mm-hmm. Uh, was one of the points was learn the philosophical and other relevant underpinnings of Star Wars movies. And I didn't find that interesting because it's like, ah, Star Wars doesn't have any of those things. I found it interesting because <laughs> that's not what I think of when I think of Star Wars, mm. uh, which included things such as the anti-bullying theme, the inability to control one's destiny and how that directs your life, the utility of living according to a code of conduct, the self-destructiveness of a lust for power and living in fear, anger, hate, and selfishness. Um, the reality that good and evil carry shades of gray and can cross over. Mm-hmm. I was just like, this is surprisingly deep for a WikiHow article. <laughs> WikiHow, WikiHow gets to it. I guess. <laughs> well, I think Star Wars is a surprisingly deep story. I mean, in the 70s, most people, before Star Wars hit, most people were like, ah, Star Wars. Just another space movie. Everybody's going to forget about this thing in two months. No big deal. Little did they know, though, that it would just be this huge operatic thing that would get out there with crazy effects and 
an insane epic storyline and characters people would really, really relate with. Well, here's the th- here's my theory. After reading a few um, people talking about what what draws them to Star Wars, a lot of people talked about like camaraderie with other people who like Star Wars, especially I, I, if you you know if you saw the movie in the theaters and things like that. Yeah, and uh, you know, some people were watching watching their sci-fi or reading their sci-fi on the DL. Star Wars like was like a big, 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 big deal. So it became like, we like Star Wars. We we can both talk about sci-fi now because we both know that we both like sci-fi. Yeah. Like it was the the biggest touchstone to that point of that. Like like George Lucas wanted it to be a B movie writ large. Mm. Yeah. Like it was like it's supposed to exemplify like genre fiction. And so that 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 became like the most popular touchstone for everybody to kind of be like okay you're into something something a little bit different if we're talking about the the why of of star wars fandom what i found interesting was the the fan lore article on star wars Mm -hmm. and it was talking about i didn't really appreciate the the tone that that part of it had uh, talked about but it was talking about the mundane reviewers and it was talking about um this story that george lucas wanted to tell this this grand epic um, but what made it different from Star Trek, because that was the the most relevant example at the time, not mm. necessarily of science fiction, but like of mainstream science fiction, I suppose, was that it had this big epic story that, yeah, maybe had some simplistic themes, but they were very human themes and they were, they were very relatable, especially after mm-hmm. like... Um, it, it's like a Star Wars came out after the Vietnam War ended and after Watergate and yeah. after this yeah. world of like idealism had been like run down with a lot of cynicism and it was less of a world of ideals and more of a world of, of grays. That's like that didn't come from the article, mm-hmm. but like that was kind of the impression that I got from the article. Yeah. So there's that element of timing. I mean, both within the, the grander scheme of things, the grander world stage. But I think uh, if you're a sci-fi fan and you're thirsty for some new big screen or small screen sci-fi fare, then, you know, you've got to wait another two years before Star Trek, the motion picture. Here's this Star Wars thing. Now we're waiting for Empire Strikes Back. (laughs) First, if it was today, they would have already signed on all three movies at the same time. (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, that's an interesting story about like how things have, have changed. In my research, I came across a term called, I think it was like EO fandom. EO? Yeah, like EOW fandom. Apparently, okay. like a lot of these, these terms on fan lore are, are, as far as I'm concerned, ancient. Like they're well before my time, so they don't have the same meaning. But it describes a fandom between, um, it describes the fandom that exists between when the thing is released and um when things start to be talked about it mm-hmm. so for star wars you know people would have seen the screening or would have uh talked about like uh heard rumors about it before it came out or shortly after it came out in in today's world you don't have that there's no that fandom doesn't exist the fandom like things happen immediately because things exist immediately yes reaction exists immediately yeah like you can show like a movie poster for the for something, and already you have a fandom. Yep. 
There's no like proto fandom time. It just happens. Or a trailer for the trailer for the trailer. (laughs) Okay. So here's where I get to display some of my own personal cynicism. Uh, Yeah. This this is about fans. If not, I'm Uh, not interested. It is about fans. (laughs) Okay. It's just me me hating things. I mean, it (laughs) could be. (laughs) On the show where I just hate. I mean, it could be, yes, but it is about fans. Okay. Okay. So as with, as with, you know, we always often do for the why, which is what we want to get to. I'm reading people's stories of like them describing why they like Star Wars. And maybe 10 different people said in their description of why they liked it. Oh, it's good versus evil. How many times has anybody pitched you a movie based on, oh man, it's going to be good versus evil. Is it zero times? Because <laughs> for me, it's zero times. That does not make me interested in a movie. <laughs> and the sense I was getting is that it was a lot of people who had seen Star Wars at a formative age and were now thinking about things that were in it that maybe are reasons why they liked it. Oh, like they're like a post hoc realization, like they're trying to justify why they liked it now based on why they liked it then yeah it's like i instead of like i like star wars now because i liked it then they're like well i must it must be because of these things yes i mean and 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 all the things i said were valid and are in the movie but i feel like (laughs) well when i watched it i was just like this is great this is great great stuff this is great sci-fi and then after it it's like oh all the you know their themes and like like allegories to history and like there's lots of stuff you can pull out of it but i feel like all of the descriptions are getting were people that had liked it first and were like oh well what's in it so because of that i wanted to see reactions from people who are watching it for the first time as adults oh okay yeah i mean some of my i was interested at work when uh, force awakens came out because I, I learned that many of my coworkers had not actually seen the Star Wars movie, and they are not particularly young. They just hadn't seen it, or Lord of the Rings, for that matter. Hmm. So I watched a Wired video that was a room of people being shown A New Hope for the first time, and there was like a host who who had seen it already, and then like seven or eight people that had never seen it. Okay. Um, probably all around our age, I want to say. Okay. And <laughs> uh, one of the best quotes was they they were talking to people beforehand about, well, like you know, how do you feel being in this world, having not seen Star <laughs> Wars? And someone said, "It doesn't make me feel uncomfortable that I haven't seen it. I feel uncomfortable that other people feel uncomfortable that I haven't seen it." <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> So people talk about they they'd gotten sweared at for not oh, having wow. seen it. What? There's some yes. serious privilege going on there. They're, they're movies. Salty fans. They're just movies. Um and like everyone was just kind of sitting it just showed you kind of the, the movie in a little screen at the bottom. And it showed little clips from various points of the movie. The video's only about five minutes. And then you get Alderon being blown up. And then someone was sitting there with their, their arm on their they're their chin on their hand being like, oh, that wasn't bad. <laughs> <laughs> and you get so much, oh, that was good 
for the time, you know? They tried. <laughs> I mean... A lot of people trying to appreciate the context after the fact, but were, like, uh, clearly not blown away by it. Well, I mean, I I won't deny that there's a nostalgic factor to to the movies. Um, Mm. Every time somebody's like, oh, you haven't seen, like, old movie. And by old movie, I mean, like, Casablanca or Citizen Kane. I'm like, look, storytelling was very different then, and it's very different now. And Mm. it's just hard for me to get into that. And I can imagine people watching Star Wars now would be the same. However, the thing about the Star Wars property is, admittedly, there was a long gap between things to see. But sometime around the early 90s, or at least the early 2000s, that changed. And you had the prequels, which were new movies to watch that potentially would have more uh, sway on people. Or the like Rebels or Clone Wars cartoons or any of those those things. Or recent, very recently, Rogue One which was pretty good and uh force awakens mm-hmm. yeah and so i watched another video of an editor of okay. daily dot named ali keeves and she watched all six in a, in one sitting having in, never seen any having never seen any okay perfect Jeez. in episode order okay so one through mm. six yep and she loved it oh yeah yeah, she didn't make any comments about like the down res from episode three to four. The down, I think she realizes when they were released. <laughs> <laughs> also, keep in mind if you're watching like the uh, re-release of the original three movies, and oh, yeah, Jar Jar Binks is the quote, the quote special edition. Yeah, the special or, edition, or, or like the re. Oh, the special edition came out before episode one did. Yeah, but I mean, those should be comparable yeah. quality. You're going to probably get like 720p because the original were done on film and, you know, you don't need to upscale film the same way. I'm not a cinephile, but like that's probably yeah. comparable quality. We're not talking like watching a 4K video from today here. Yeah, but I mean, it's clear that they were like 20 years apart in the making. Yeah. Um, but like because she watched the quote bad ones first. So her expectations were set accordingly. Right. So there's no... At no point was she disappointed. Was she like, oh, that was weird that that happened. Yeah. Or that was silly. Why did this happen? This is dumb. There's none of that. (laughs) She just enjoyed them, like, all the way through. Yeah. So when you don't... When you're you're not holding on to that... um, That initial memory... Mm -hmm. Of those first movies... Maybe the other ones are, are, are easier to swallow. I also wonder if there had been no prequels, how Force Awakens would have been received. Hmm, that's a good question. Because I feel like everyone was collectively holding their breath after the prequels be like, oh my god, it's good. <laughs> In uh, yeah. considering... Oh, go ahead, Z. <gasps> Sorry. Wait, you, what, gee, when you mean prequels, you mean episodes one through three? Yes. Oh. I thought you meant like if... If The Force Awakens was the first Star Wars movie. No, I mean, if it was the next, if the prequel movies hadn't existed, if episode seven, Force Awakens, was the one after, well, one released after Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Same amount of time in between, but. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For a brief aside, I don't think we would have gotten The Force Awakens if we didn't have the prequels. Oh, no. No, there's no way. Because there's just not enough Star Wars 
Like, you wouldn't have gotten well, the Clone Wars if we wouldn't have got the prequels. And if you didn't get the Clone Wars, yeah. you wouldn't get Rebels. If you don't get Rebels, then you're, there's no sustaining thing just that's like, keeping people watching Star Wars. It's just It was just like a snowball, right? Yeah. Well, like, you had that yeah. Ewoks show. Yeah, yeah, that did not last as that was not. I, re- I remember the fact that it was on TV. I don't remember like, don't anything else. Don't forget Droids. I actually saw a few episodes of Droids. I forgot about mm-hmm. Droids. I remember the Dre. opening. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I also wanted to get to the why and wanted to get some other opinions on it other than my own. Mm-hmm. And I came across two interesting resources which have similar um, similar kind of thoughts, one of which tied, tied things into Star Trek a little bit. And the article okay. was enti- entitled, um, the article was entitled, Why Do Many People Identify as a Star Wars or Star Trek Fan and Does It Have to Be Either Or? The short answer is it doesn't have to be an either or. And the question is usually asked by people who are fans of neither but um, what it had to say about Star Wars was interesting and perhaps reflective of what you had described about, you know, stories of good and evil. Uh, The parts that I found relevant from the article were uh, this little quote, which is, Star Wars is about people struggling to survive in a persistent, ongoing war. Star Trek is about people trekking through space, looking for new species and information. People love Star Wars because it can be revisited endlessly. It's classic epic narrative never grows old good will always triumph over evil while the preceding struggle never fails to engage us in an entertaining coming of age journey that carries us through a satisfying climax and resolution there's another bit later on in it Uh, star wars caught on in a way star trek didn't because it taps into something more universal and more felt than thought grounded in some of our deepest most instinctual dreams Star Wars isn't really even science fiction, except in the sense that it contains robots and spaceships as window dressing. Mm-hmm. It's simply a grand fantasy playing on all the old archetypes wrapped up in a package that appeals to today's film goer. That's true. Star Wars is not about being futuristic or scientific or no. science fiction-y, whereas Star Trek is. It happened in the distant past. Star Trek is about, yeah, exactly. Star Trek is about the future. Star Trek is about moving. We, we beat earth. We completed earth. Earth has peace now. (laughs) Let's, let's, let's see what else is out there. Yeah. That's, that's Star Trek. Star Wars is like a war, you know, an epic war, a coming of age. One character arc really is the uh, four, five, and six Mm -hmm. is the arc of Luke Skywalker. Mm -hmm. Well, when you, Uh, Star Trek is more of an ensemble. Well, it's started as Star a Trek, TV series. Star Trek is about the crew standing in for humanity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like Star Wars, what are the most um, memorable moments of those films? You've got Han Solo and, and Leia as Han is about to be frozen in carbonite. Yep. That's not a moment about any science or, or idealistic moment. That's just a very human moment about a, an oncoming loss. You got yeah. Luke hanging upside down in the ice monster's cave using the force to grab his lightsaber. Oh, that's just really cool. <laughs> yeah, that's a human <laughs> moment too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, you've got you've got the moment on uh, Espen where Luke's father. Now, spoilers. Oh man, man, whatever. Spoiler the Simpsons wise. spoiled it twenty years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Where Luke's uh, father is is revealed to be Darth Vader, and and you know he's just like overwhelmed because his, his father is the like effectively the head of the Empire. Everything that he stands against, 
mm-hmm. and also how could he be betrayed as much by this person yeah. or the moment where Alderaan is destroyed yep mm-hmm. it's it's not a movie about like you know what could humanity do better it's just a, a movie about you know like you said good versus evil but that's really relatable because we we think in black and white our brains are hardwired to think like that yes yes you can say that makes it worse and you know you can debate that but but that that is why people come back to that as something that's enjoyable good, good versus evil is a fine thing to center a movie around it is not a selling point for me to see a movie no that's that's fair but that's because you're like okay there's a million stories that are told that way what makes this one interesting do you want to see a coming of age story i don't know <laughs> tell me more is it stand by me uh, it is Stand By Me. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> Written by Stephen King. Did not know that. Yes. Based or on the, the, bo- but, the yeah. body. Yeah. That horrible scene where everybody pukes. <laughs> Boy. Just terrible. <laughs> um, the other thing that I uh, had read about why people are so passionate about Star Wars from a Korra question, why does Star Wars have so many passionate fans? kind of went in a different tack and one that I would argue is perhaps a bit more similar to Star Trek, which is Star Wars created a universe of infinite possibilities that was relatable. The universe looked used and it was something we could understand though it was a galaxy far, far away. The storyline is basic. Underdogs try to take down an oppressive government. You throw in there some mythology with the Jedi and you have yourself a super interesting story. And to that, the fact that you can take that story and use your imagination and realize that this universe is huge. There are so many more stories that you can add to it, which essentially became the expanded universe. So then you take a person who saw in this universe the infinite possibilities, and they became obsessed. Dan Tween was only mentioned once. Who well, where is that planet? What happened there? And they want to know every little detail. The more they know, the more passionate they become. The simple answer to your question would be that Star Wars is relatable to many more people than Star Trek or Lord of the Rings would be. The storyline resonates with more people, so there are passionate fans in many universes star wars has a lot more due to its popularity i want to say dantooine is the planet where there is a (laughs) skiff race between han solo and dengar (laughs) and han solo came down on top of dengar's head and that's why he wears the bandage if he's a bounty hunter and the scene with all the bounty hunters on the bridge he's one with a bunch of bandages wrapped around his head man sorry i'm totally not doing research on the air he uh (laughs) A youth well spent. I'm looking it up right now. I might be completely oh. wrong. I thought I thought you knew it. That story. That story is happened somewhere. I don't know if it was Dantooine. No, it was not Dantooine. Apparently, <sighs> yeah. During the early Galactic Civil War, the Rebellion <laughs> briefly used the planet as the location <laughs> of a base. <laughs> oh man. Oh hmm. It used to be. Used to not to it. Not a. Uh, sorry, Dantooine, not important to this episode. Very not yeah. important to this episode. If you're from Dantooine, let us know. Yeah. And we'll uh, make yeah. you important. Yeah, if you're a nerf herder from Dantooine, let us know. What? Dantooine. Uh, oh, that's, yeah. What, uh, what did... Farms. <laughs> what did you find <laughs> about the why of, of Star Wars fandom, Z? Okay. <laughs> I found an article of Collectors Weekly all about collecting Star Wars cards, focusing on a gentleman called Paul Holstein, who is trying 
to to be the one collector to have the most complete sets across the world. And what I got from this article, from this interview, in fact, was that what's at the core of this of the hobby that he enjoys so much is the community. Because at first, when he started to collect, he just sort of did it on his own. But then he started to upload them to a website, and people would see his collections, sets, and everything, and say, "Oh, I've got th- I've got some some like that, but you know, whatever they're they're a little bit different, or I don't have any of those, but I've got these." And so some trade started up and all that, all that sort of thing. Um, and he really talks about how the community is really, really key to in- the enjoyment of collecting Star Wars cards. Um, also a little bit of world travel, because apparently uh, the States and Canada were not the only two countries making Star Wars cards. There were a bunch from like Costa Rica and Argentina, Spain, Italy, um, some... some uh, Greek Star Wars cards actually have Star Trek images <laughs> because they were what? they were eager to cash in. Oh boy! And then over in Japan, apparently they have the the nicest Star Wars cards that are Ooh. all like uh, high quality paper, great image quality, and just beautiful little wonders of memorabilia. Man, oh man! Yeah, it was just one really in depth interview, but it was quite a window into a whole new world it was quite deep yeah i don't even know i mean i guess i could assume that star wars cards existed (laughs) sounds like it goes deeper than a sarlacc pit oh boy am i right by the way i just checked the wikipedia article on dengar and the story that i quoted does not exist (laughs) (laughs) not according to i i read it i absolutely did read it it's not in wikipedia (laughs) Extended the extended universe is no longer official canon. It never so, was. Well, there were except whatever. We're not getting into that. This <laughs> Star Wars a, has a tiered canon. Look yeah, it up. Yeah. Good boy. Are you thinking maybe Bosk, the lizard person? Oh, I'm thinking of Dengar. Okay. I I know who I'm talking about, and okay. I know what I'm talking about. Was, I don't know what planet <laughs> it happened on, but he is currently in the same planet as Han Solo, so it's entirely possible. Was Dengar anyway. the person in? Shadows of the Empire? No, that was Dash, Dash Render. Yeah, okay, never mind. Oh boy. Not if anyone important. has a Star Wars podcast <laughs> 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 and would like to just shout uh, proper nouns from Star Wars at me while I shout it back at them, uh, MEFG at the nextcast.com. <laughs> we'll talk. <laughs> One of the interesting things, like I think, I think there's a pretty clear case for the the why. There's a there's like different motivations, but they're they're all grouped. There's this coming of age story. There's there's this um, there's these strong themes of good versus evil. Um, there's an emotional component. There's an element of nostalgia. Um, but did uh, there was something else that I noticed in some of my my research around Star Wars fandom, and it wasn't. It wasn't unique to Star Wars fandom, but it was just interesting because I hadn't heard it about Star Wars fandom in particular. And what that that was was this segregation of of women in in fandom. Mm. And by that in particular, it's like these spaces are like Star Wars. Lots of people love it. Um, But deliberately, women would segregate themselves out of that fandom for lots of lots of legitimate reasons 
like mm-hmm. uh, harassment, um, but also for for other reasons, namely because there weren't didn't appear to be women in those groups. Um, in an article I read, uh, how female fans made Star Wars their own on the New York Times. Um, one I learned out about a lot of really cool Star Wars related projects. Uh, there's a blog called fangirlblog.com, womenofstarwars.tumblr.com, and fangirlsgoingrogue.com, which is a podcast, which we Ooh, should shout out. Yeah. Uh, Star Wars podcast hosted exclusively by fangirls, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, they, these, these groups kind of like segregated themselves off. Uh, one of the quotes from the article was, not every male Star Wars fan is excited about this this turn. Sites like the Jedi Council Forums, a bustling message board on the Force.net, can sometimes marginalize contributions from women. On the boards is a real scorn showed towards shipping as a phenomenon, said Rachel of Scavenger's Horde, which is another podcast. In her experience on forums, Miss Barr said, a lot of women were called outsiders if we had a different opinion from the mainstream. Even when most women are welcoming, she said, all you need is one persistent person to make your experience really bad. Even officially sanctioned sites have felt off-putting to some. Miss Kell followed Lucasfilm's Star Wars Tumblr when it started in 2013, but was soon turned off by a masculine bias in its focus and imagery. As she put it, how many times do you really need to post pictures of over-sexualized droids? I wish I could see the, the picture, by the way, because I, no, <laughs> I have no context on I, this. Based on the movies, I have no idea what this would be. Yeah. C-3PO in a golden bikini. Uh, maybe. Uh Continuing the quote, and on mainstream sites like Twitter, women are often belittled by male fans who can't abide feminist theorizing. When Miss um, Macias, I'm, I can't pronounce that, uh, tweeted asking for more mother-daughter relationships in Star Wars, a fellow fan tweeted back, two straight Star Wars movies with female hero leads. I don't understand the complaint. Whoa. Um, yeah, but I mean, like, even in Rogue One, the mother was just like there and then gone yeah that came up in the article earlier talking about it's like oh yeah. more there should be more mother-daughter relationships and not just the, not just the mother, mother being a scientist who's murdered something. yeah it's like yeah. not yeah it's like the father was a scientist could they have made the mother the scientist like that's Why not? that's a question about like women in in film and that's a great question um mm. but not one that we're tackling in this i, I just thought it was interesting because yeah like out of necessity women will like segregate themselves out of a particular fandom and form their own little niche which is good that is like creating a yeah. a space for women but it's also sucky because it means that you know we couldn't these two worlds couldn't coexist because people are jerks yeah yeah i find it really interesting because it sounds like uh the articles that you were reading about it are about incidents of women uh creating these niches like in recent years uh, so that that was from recent years. Later in the article, there was a, an example, a further quote. Um, Female fans had an early internet presence too. In 1995, a Star Wars mm-hmm. Ladies' Night was held in America online chat room. That tells you something. That is how Amazing. old that is. Um, yeah. Was held in America online chat room every Tuesday. And in 1997, the GeoCities site, the Women of Star Wars, promoted discussion of the female characters we know and love or hate, as the case may be. Other early outposts include Star Wars Chicks, a site created in response to the argument that Star Wars is for boys, and Club Mm. Jade, dedicated to celebrating Mara Jade, a character in the comic books and novels. Hmm. So, like, there was a presence earlier, and I I ended up doing some research and got caught up in a trap where, like, this happened to some extent in, in Star Trek fandom, too. 
Mm. Um, and we've touched on like how women are like a strong component of fandom, but are often marginalized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I just thought it was, was interesting. Cause I, I hadn't, I had always thought that was typically men driving women out of fandom and that is uh, an effect, but it's not like the only factor here. Mm-hmm. People are just like, no, nah, this is better over here. So I'm going to go over here. Let's just make a better space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What grabbed my interest when you started to mention that was that, uh, my uh, my fan of the week gets into this a little bit. Oh, and has a a little bit of a of a counter stance. Okay. Okay. So this week for uh, for a fan of the week, I came across this essay by Mary Jo Fox, and it's hosted. Well, excerpts of it are hosted on Fanlore currently, but it originally came out in the fanzine Blue Harvest. In um, summer 1999. Yeah. That's Blue Harvest number 17, for those of you at home keeping keeping score. <laughs> I I know what Blue Harvest is a reference to, kind of. That's about as hmm. much as you can get out of me. Okay. So a lot of it is about um, basically the perspective of a uh, female Star Wars fan as the media storm is breaking around the release of The Phantom Menace in 1999. And she talks about how, you know, media attention is starting to come in here, even though uh, Star Wars used to be all safe, she says. Some people blanch at the attention we're getting. After all, we'd been safely ignored since 1983, continuing our lives underground, while other subcultures like the Trekkers and Deadheads were under the microscope. That suited a lot of us just fine. Star Wars fandom became a secret society, a Cosa Nostra, of kindred spirits continuing their Star Wars worship away from the public's eye. I used to say, you're never sure who a Star Wars fan might be, because you couldn't tell by just looking at somebody. And he or she pulls out a copy of Heir to the Empire, or casually drops a line from the movies into conversation. We were like the early Christians hiding in the catacombs during the (laughs) Roman Empire. And, in a way, it was sort of cool. When you met a Star Wars fan in those days, you knew you were meeting the real thing. Ah well. (laughs) However you felt about those days, they're over. Personally, I don't necessarily think media coverage of Star Wars fandom is in itself a bad thing. I've been contacted by the press, and I've spoken to members of the press about Star Wars and the fans. I think it's kind of nice we're able to get some recognition after being laughed at, scoffed at, and plain dismissed in the 1980s. But there's a downside, isn't there always? I think we can all groan at how we're portrayed at times as neo-Trekkies by people who obviously have a hostile view of genre fans, or at the very least, don't understand genre at all. But there are other kinds of media distortion, and worse yet, the fans themselves seem to sometimes believe it. She talks about how, um, in particular, some people find it um, troublesome that the media at the time really just focused on fan websites and what they had to say rather than you know, really digging deep and talking to fans directly. They would just go on forums and that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, that would be a problem. And then she, going back into her own words, on this whole fanboy business, fanboy was a pejorative term used mostly in comics and sci-fi circles to describe someone who generally lacks basic social skills, obsessed to the point of being unbearably obnoxious. I believe the fat guy who runs the Android's Dungeon comic book shop on The Simpsons typifies what fanboy was all about. Star Wars fans would look at someone like that and say, at least we're not that way. 
Oh, but now the press would have the world believe fanboy is popular Star Wars fanish lingo for a typical fan. Now I see people referring to themselves as fanboys. Fanboy also implies that, well, there are no fangirls, or that there shouldn't be. I'm sure many of you read Newsweek's article back in January about Star Wars fans and the Phantom Menace mania. What really set my teeth on edge was the article describing fandom as mostly male. What made me start cursing and throwing stuff was that the only women mentioned in the article were beleaguered widows who don't understand all of this Star Wars stuff and don't care. Annoying me even further was some inside info on how a female web staffer who had been interviewed and photographed for the article was excised from the final version. Now, I'm not what you'd call a feminist. I have never belonged to now. I have never picked up a copy of Miss in my life. I don't hate Barbie and think Betty Page is way cooler than Betty Friedan. But I'll be darned if I'm going to let the folks at home reading Newsweek believe that this portrayal of fandom as a men's club is accurate. So I fired off a letter and they printed it. But alas, I may have been too late. Within weeks of the article, I saw a number of rather sexist posts on various message boards about female fans. Stuff like, No wonder you like Titanic. You're a girl. Or, Girls just aren't as fanatical as we are. Or, Girls just don't seem to know as much about Star Wars. <laughs> there were posts from teenage girls who complained they ran into sexism from guys their age all of the time. To me, that's crazy. Nobody in 22 years has ever expressed disbelief that I'm a chick and yet a Star Wars fan. Now, I'm seeing other articles describing Star Wars fandom as male-dominated. Worst of all, a certain editor of an official Star Wars publication recently claimed 80% of the fan club's membership is male. I wanted to strangle this one guy on a mailing list who kept insisting, even if we assume that 51% of Star Wars fandom is male, that still makes it mostly male. I felt like I was personally under siege. I worried that people wouldn't let their little girls see The Phantom Menace, or would take them to shrinks if they started pretending they were Darth Maul or something. Why, all of a sudden, is a fan scene once proud of Star Wars Universal Appeal trying to push me out the back door because my plumbing, never mind the two decades I've dedicated to the cause? I don't believe for a minute that I'm out of the ordinary. The very first group of Star Wars fans I came across, the fiction crowd, was almost entirely female. Over half of the volunteers at the Star Wars exhibit, and half of the visitors, were female. Blue Harvest manages to have a sizable female readership. The internet has been a very useful tool for reporters, but I also think it has made them lazy. Why get off your duff and drive around town making phone calls, waiting for the next con to come to town, and so forth, trying to find a cross-section of the local Star Wars contingent when you can get your quotes zapped to you via email? It's no big secret most of the fans behind the big-name websites are male, but those websites cover the Phantom Menace specifically, which interests journalists more than the kind of sites women fans put on, like Fanfix or the Luke Skywalker Estrogen Brigade. <laughs> what? In the end, it's up to us to keep media coverage of fandom honest. No one fan can speak for everyone, but if something makes you say, hey, that's not true, don't just sit there and grouse about it. Let the media know and let the world know the truth. That, that last part seemed particularly relevant given me just watching Rogue One. Ooh. But also Rogue One coming out. I don't know. Well, Rogue One was, was, was about like the things that we need to do even yeah. if they're even if they're hard. Difficult. Yeah. 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 Even if you wind up on a planet, that's going to be uh Hey. Wrecked. Hey. 
Look, we can spoil movies that are 40 years old. <laughs> <ago. laughs> I don't know how people feel about us spoiling hey, things that are like two months old. <laughs> a lot of people on a lot of planets. A lot of meteors out there. Shame if something nice ha- something happened to all those nice planets. It was Earth. <laughs> oh, no. I feel like with the topic like Star Wars, there's a lot of interesting fan stories and just stories to be told. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, this came from the WikiHow article, actually. Uh, on how to become a Star Wars fan, and I thought it was—I thought it was a nice little thing from a fan. The question, because in the WikiHow article you can ask additional questions at the end. Somebody had asked, "I discovered Star Wars recently, and I feel like my dad and brother don't believe I'm a real fan since I started out late. How can I prove to them that I love Star Wars?" Ooh. And the answer from this mm-hmm. fan was, "Your dad and brother are wrong if they think you can't be a Star Wars fan." Anyone who likes Star Wars enough can be a true fan. Work hard to show your love for Star Wars by talking about it and being enthusiastic when someone mentions it. Believe me, this will help you more than you know. I thought that was kind of cute. It's nice. Um, I mean, a lot of people probably do think about that. Like, I don't don't think anybody really needs to prove that they're a true fan and that you have to work hard enough. But the sentiment was there that it's like, look, you're a fan and that's all that matters. Just be a fan. Just be a fan. Just enjoy it. Just love it and talk about it and be enthusiastic about it. Because probably this person is already enthusiastic about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other piece, which is a little bit longer, uh, is uh, from an article called Young Jedi Ready for Rogue One with Lowe's Help. Which I thought was weird, but let's let's get into it. Um, So paraphrasing quite heavily for this one. Um, although the majority of Star Wars films released before Z, that, that's the person's name, was even born, he's a big fan. I like Star Wars because I like Star Wars because I like Star Wars, he said. And honestly, what other reason do you need? His favorite character is Luke Skywalker. He even has a Skywalker costume. But every fan knows that no Star Wars ensemble is complete without the most important piece, a lightsaber. At first, Melissa, Z's mother, wasn't sure what to do. Z was born with a visual impairment and uses a cane to safely navigate. She had the great idea of using the cane as his saber, but didn't know where to start. So she went to the Westboro Lowe's, armed with a plastic lightsaber she bought at another store. It was on a whim to swing by, she said. I was just hoping someone would help me cut the top of the lightsaber so I could slide it over the cane. But the employees did a little more than that. In the store, she met Jay Drayton and Courtney Blaylock. They took a look at the saber and cane and told Melissa to come back later. They'd like to work on them. Employees joined forces to transform the cane into a lightsaber. They hollowed out the plastic saber, drilled it, and made it fit around his cane. They even touched it up with colored electrical tape in spots just to make sure it looked like one consistent piece. Melissa couldn't believe how great it looked, but she was also touched by the employee's willingness to help. It was really heartwarming to see people come together like that to do something for your child she said. They didn't just do it, they embraced it, and they embraced him. And Z? He loves his new lightsaber. It's been a hit among his friends and teachers. He's so proud of it that he refuses to let Melissa desaber his cane and continues mm-hmm. to battle with it at home. And you'd better believe that it's going with him and Melissa to watch Rogue One. Nice. Yeah. 
See how I tied Lowe's into the beginning of the act? Yeah. Uh, that oh, was not intentional. My goodness. Yes, it was. No, it was <laughs> Smarter than all of us. Yeah. I'm going to omit uh, uh, mine for now. I'll link to it. But It's about a guy realizing after the fact, like as an adult, how the parallels between his life and like Luke's and how closely he emotionally identifies with Luke and the... Uh, in the story oh that sounds super cool yeah uh, but i will link to that okay that's fair to hear you had a spotlight for this episode i do so um one of the interesting things about star wars uh even though uh, george lucas i guess isn't largely a fan of um you know, fan-made stuff, or wasn't. I'm, I'm sure things have changed. And I tried not to focus on that research. There is one organization that often comes up when you talk about Star Wars fandom, especially if you're talking about costuming and Star Wars fandom. That group is, of course, the 501st Legion, which dubs themselves as the world's definitive imperial costuming organization, uh, also as Vader's Fist. Uh, their mission, to promote interest in Star Wars, to facilitate the use of costumes, and to contribute... Um, so while it was created to provide a collective identity for costuming fans, it uh, does its best to put its resources to good use through fundraising, charity work, and volunteerism. Um, I think I ha I, uh, an example of this is I went to the theater not to see Rogue One, but very close to the release of Rogue One, I saw this person standing out. I didn't realize it was a person at first. I thought there was literally a statue of a stormtrooper standing in front of the Rogue One poster. <laughs> uh, after like a minute of watching and watching people take pictures i realized it was not in fact a statue it was a person it was uh, a person from the 501st making an appearance <laughs> um, but they do often do different charity work um, let me just see if i can pull some up so they've worked with the international child abuse network the american cancer society the association for the support of children with cancer big brothers and sisters of greater cleveland okay that one's specific they have a huge page of all the charities that they've helped out with. Um, but it's really interesting as an organization because, one, it's one of the few officially sanctioned like fan projects by a, a media organization. Like, If you tried to make a business out of making Disney costumes, you would be sued and go out of business. That's right. Yeah. But if you make Stormtrooper armor, like via the 501st, they've got no problems, as far as I know. Obviously, you should read the website because I'm working off the best information I have, which is not very good information. I don't think I've... I don't know if I've been to a con that they haven't been at in some form. Yeah, there's usually, like, anybody who wants to make some really cool armor will be there. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, anyway, so if you haven't heard of the 501st Legion, you should definitely take a look at their website. You can check it out at 501st.com, like 501st.com. Um, I think there's also a Canadian contingent at 501st.ca. Mm -hmm. um, but if you go to the, the 501st Legion, it'll probably link you to all of your, the other your different... local. Yep. It looks like they have yeah. contingents across the globe um, in North America, South America, Europe, Africa, Asia, um, Australia. Antarctica? No. no. <laughs> be the first Antarctic member of the 501st Legion. <laughs> Actually, that might be a, appropriate being like a... Uh, what are the winter troopers called? Like snowtroopers? Snowtroopers, yeah. They have like, it's just like a sheet instead of the rest of their mask, kind of. Yeah, that, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, so you should check those folks out. They do good things for people. 
Mm-hmm. As we wind things down here, we encourage you to go to patreon.com slash the Nixcast to see um, plans that we have for the future, not just for this podcast, but uh, everything under the Nixcast banner. Patreon is a place where, in our case, for every month, you can contribute, you can make a pledge, and that goes towards our different goals. In our case, you'll be able to check out the things that we plan on doing, and often there are rewards, so that might be, you know, um, being included in the description to show how thankful we are that you help contribute to making the next cast, Phanthropological, all the things that we do happen. Um, yeah, and you can check that out at patreon.com slash the next cast. Yeah. If you want to see uh, more episodes of the podcast, go to phantopological.com, which uh, they shall be up there for your listening pleasure, or check us out, uh, rate and subscribe on iTunes. We are there as well. Yep. Uh, if you want to hit us up on social media, at the Nixcast, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. If you have ideas for topics you'd like to see us cover, uh, nick at the Nixcast.com. Let us know, give us your feedback uh, on what you'd like to hear. So thank you for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you next time on Phanthropological. Yep. And backwards long jump through our discussion of speedrunning next week on Phanthropological. bring them into the harsh harsh uh light of day sunlight is the best disinfectant as they say i don't care who who says that (laughs) name me one person that says that i do name me one normal person that says that (laughs) bob chipman oh i mean i'll believe that (laughs) (laughs) i don't know why but i'll believe that (laughs) so this week we are talking about star wars fans uh so, gee, I hear you found an interesting site that you wanted to tell us about. Not <laughs> because you're looking it up, you're going to read it because I, I can, just I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So, so T, I hear this. <laughs> hey, gee, I uh, hear you can go. <laughs> <laughs> can you hear my middle finger? How about two? Coming through the microphone. Uh, I mean, say that thing that you said again, and I'll take it seriously this time. Uh, cool. So this is the part where we plug the next ep- next episode. Next one, speed running. Speed running. <clears throat> join us next week on and <clears throat> and be sure to join us next week on Phanthropological, where we will uh, become the fastest. Yeah, where we will become the fastest things alive. As we cover speed running. Do you suffer from glitch abuse? Consult your doctor next week on Phanthropological. <laughs> You'll be pleased to know that Phanthropological is doing its first tool assisted episode next week. That's right, 100% less Nix. <laughs> it's all automated now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, it'll be like those. Be speed run through. It'd be like that Google Home talking to that other Google Home.
<laughs> we'll set three of those up and have it do a podcast. <laughs> get this get this thing done in ten minutes. <laughs> well, thank you everyone for listening to our episode on speedrunning. Sorry if you missed out on most of it. Uh, must a sequence broke through that. Hmm. Can you make it through next week's 100% run of the podcast? Find out next week. I remember all the all the phrases. I I, ha- terms. I have a cheat sheet behind me. Eyes. Ah, you got your you got your tool assisted speed runs. You got your hundo percents. You got your low percents. You got mm. your any percents. Metroid's big in it. Ocarina of Time's big in it. Leave an any percent run on our uh, iTunes. <laughs> see if you see if you can find the secret glitch in the theme song. That uh, see if you can find the secret glitch in the theme song that sends you through to the plugs next week. <laughs> Backwards long jump through our discussion of speed running next week on Phantropological. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, hold on. Okay. I hope you enjoy next week's pacifist run of the podcast. That right, we aren't killing anybody. (laughs) And as opposed to the times where we murder everyone, you know. (laughs) This will make it a first for the podcast. (laughs) Uh, Join us next week for our three hearts run of Phanthropological. (laughs) I mean, we have three hearts. I mean, I guess so. Isn't every run then a three hearts run for us? (laughs) perfect Mm. (laughs) magnifique